Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my name is Alan Moore and you're listening to Gaelic Games Europe's twice-weekly podcast, This Sunday's Game. Welcome to part two of our two-part special with Oliver Callan. In part one, we learned of his deep love for the GAA, as well as being from Monaghan, and his split loyalties growing up in a mixed marriage with the Monaghan dad and a cork mum. In part two, we're going to discuss the GAA's surprising attitude to his impersonations, as well as just which sports give the best fodder for his comedy, how he learned from legends like Dermot Morgan, and can a comedian comment on politics without being a comedian first? The old Arrigo Saki saying of, you don't have to have been a horse to be a jockey, comes straight to mind. And finally, we're going to ask him just how hard the entertainment industry has been hit with coronavirus in Ireland. But first, a bit of news. Olympic silver medalist and Sports Ireland chairperson John Tracy discussed the need for spectators going to matches in the context of revenue. He said that it's a really major income source, particularly for our three field sports. So they're kind of the issues that will be considered over the next month or so. The sounds are good and the figures are good so far in terms of what Ireland has done. He went on to say that we will follow the government advice and we have to and we have to get on with it. Said that it's this planned phase basis return to sport, and I think we're in a lot better place than we were a month ago. And I'm a lot more optimistic now than I was a month ago as well. The GAA were not talking about the championship a month ago, they're talking about it now and the resumption of inter county football. The annual Clove versus County Circus has begun in Ireland. On one side, ex Clare and Dublin boss Anthony Daly says that. If county finals are scheduled up until last week or two in the window, that they will affect the Intercounty Championship, which is due to kick off on the 17th of October. He gave an example that in Clare, the final between Six Mile Bridge and Cratlow, there were six county players involved. How could you realistically have them ready for the following week to go in the Munster Championship? Now on the club side, Pat Flanagan, the former Westmead Slightwin Offaly football boss, is fearing for his life. When asked, what does he envisage if the county managers come calling for players still involved their clubs? He said, if I answer that honestly, I'd probably have fellas at the door shooting me. It's going to be difficult. It's a totally new environment and county managers are under pressure, as are club managers, no doubt. Rugby Players Ireland, the trade union for rugby players in Ireland, is angry that discussions on the 20% pay cuts for their members was leaked by them to the media. They said that we are very disappointed to see recent media reports about proposed player cuts. Rugby Players Ireland will not be commenting further at this time, except that we will definitely not hit reply all on our next email. As Spain's La Liga returned with wins for Sevilla and Barcelona, two more English Premier League players tested positive for COVID, one from Norwich City. Additionally, six staff at EPL clubs are in isolation since Friday with the virus. And finally, world boxing champion Tyson Fury last week let slip in a selfie video that it is mob boss Daniel Kinnan who is the fixer behind the upcoming mega title fight with fellow suspect Anthony Joshua. Kinnan has recently been sainted by the US and UK sports media. Meanwhile, the feud between the Hutch and Kinnan crime families has reached 20 dead. And on with the show. I start off by asking Oliver just who is the hardest personality to impersonate in the world of sports? Oh, that's a really good question. I mean, in, in terms of sport, I think lately we've struggled with rugby and I think everybody has because all the kind of big personalities like George Hook was kind of the big voice and everyone, I don't know. 
and he, you know, has been vanished. And he was, you know, he was, he was already retired. He pondered anyway, so he was kind of an old voice. But even Ryle Nugent is gone now as well. Oh my God, OMG! And you know, Brad, who a lot of people think sounds like Leo, but he doesn't because Leo is really low. Whereas Brad is actually quite, you know, middle of the road, smirky kind of voice. And so all those characters are kind of gone. Ron O'Gar, you know, was up there nice and high as well, but he's a good pundit now. And he's there, like he's probably the only most colourful character. But these kind of characters, oddly distinct to rugby, have sort of vanished a bit. And I think golf has become huge. And I mean, Conor Moore, uh, who's a mad steeped in GA and played it, uh, it, has made an entire global career out of the golf guy. So he spotted that that little um, that the, the the golf characters. I'm not a huge golf fan, so obviously it was wasn't going to happen uh, for me. But I mean, you have Rory McIlroy, which is kind of great. Uh, although I always preferred who's the other uh, northern Ray, guy? McDowell, uh, I think is how oh, you say it. Yeah. From the north, isn't it? Yeah, because um, he went to Alabama, so and I always found a musical. Equivalent to Southern US and the North and the North Northern Ireland accent, and uh, like he's just totally American now. He's like doesn't even pretend, you know. It's all oh, I went to Alabama. It's just amazing. And you'll find actually people from the North can't really do accents themselves because their accent is just so heavy. It's impervious rock of an accent. Yeah, they can't do any accents. Particularly ask someone from the North to do a Cork accent and vice versa. It's just impossible. Uh, so yeah, rugby I think is is a bit of a challenge. And uh, also the fact that when you're a male voice and female voices in sport are now on the rise, finally, uh, that that's going to be a challenge. There's a gap in the market there. There's always been a gap in the market for a brilliant female mimic. We all have the same voice box, so somebody out there can do it. But for some reason, it doesn't seem, you know, that you know they're not really, particularly in regard to sport anyway. Everyone, I mean, everyone could do a Katie Taylor at this stage, right, yeah. but you know, it's kind of, you know, it's almost like the, the secret's out now. About that, Alan, you know, thank God, please God, with the help of God, hallelujah, hallelujah, be not afraid. <laughs> Sorry, I can be stuck in Katie Taylor. Uh, it, 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 <laughs> the whole voice, steady on. Is it, have you ever have you ever felt like maybe you went to went a bit overboard on someone? Maybe kind of like oh, that you 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 heard yourself afterwards and went, oh, I don't know about that. No, I mean because I'll preface by saying, once I ripped into uh, a certain football manager, and when I met him yeah. afterwards, he said, "I'm not speaking with you because of what you said," and it was Roberto Mancini. And I was thinking, yeah, yeah. And he's walking by. He's doing a scouting for. I'm at Lokomotiv at our show. And he's walking by and I said, ah, oh, Roberto, could you have a few words? He goes, I'll speak with you later. And I said, he went away. And then he came back. Sports is, is yeah, sorry. He was very he precious about it. He was precious about it. But I did maybe slam him a bit too hard. Sorry. That's what but I think sport has this problem way more than politics. I think in politics, they kind of expect a little bit more. And they have journalists at them the whole time. Whereas in sport, you know, sport, you know, obviously there's a lot of cheering goes on way more in sports for its nature. Uh, cheerleading uh, and that's why they're really extra sensitive to it and I remember I mean I tried to kind of basically launch the Apre match version but for the GA and in the Sunday game but it was abandoned just because the sensitivities were so massive around it and it's actually where I had started doing uh, Marty Morrissey yeah and uh, Joe Brawley was kind of the first time I started doing Joe as well I had splendid well you just kind of speak with your eyes closed and half the time and you do a little pause with the swallow because you think you want all the football and you try to stop the puke, from, the puke from coming up. It only got past 
it, it never got past pilot stage and we kind of put the sketches online and sort of took off from there. But there was just like, no, the GA, there was this fear the GA was going to be uh, worried about it. I mean, you can see it even when someone in the Sunday game gets a bit strong in their criticism. And it's just because Ireland is so local and it's an amateur sport as well, which makes it quite difficult. But I always thought, you know, you could make fun of the pundits and, uh, you know, the managers, because they're all in a position of power and authority, yeah. whereas the players are probably off limits um, uh, because you know, of the nature of the sport. Uh, and, uh, and I remind people, I only made fun of Paul Galvin in his professional career afterwards rather than as the TA player. And there was a lot of material there, trust me, but it's done now. <laughs> And so, yeah, sport, I, I, I think you're right, uh, is very challenging. And you can see Conor Moore, you know, he's had to, he, he's almost been forced into doing a version of golf that's acceptable to the golfers because it's even worse where there's not even a team because it's really, it's an individual sport. So they're really, really fighting for themselves. It must be even harder. Um, whereas ironically, I think rugby was probably more open to a bit of, a bit of ribbing. But the GA is just so local, it's the community and, and the, the people involved are, are very ordinary and down to earth. And there's a sort of, uh, you're not playing fair there. Because the last time I met Des Callow, she was, I was in Crow Park, he was doing a, a post-match interview. And I, was yeah. out, and I just thought of coleslaw. And, and, and I felt terrible. I couldn't <laughs> even say hello to him. Now, I've known man for years. I couldn't even say hello to him because he was just like, he had a sandwich in his hand. And it was a cold song. Did, did he? Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like, I'm, 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 going to, I'm going to just start to say something. And I said, no. I mean, I mean was there anything that you thought like maybe that, ooh, I, maybe I should have toned that down or just was, oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, look, I've only met Des maybe three times. He's never complained directly to me, but I'm not sure he's a huge fan <laughs> of a version of, even though like he's, he's, he's well able to laugh at himself, to be fair. Uh, but I think the coleslaw thing, he might have said, you, what is it with the coleslaw? I don't even eat the stuff. But there we go. Alan Moore has kind of proven that was, obviously, when the last sandwich is a coleslaw one, Des is going to go for it. And uh, he's a great man. Like, he's totally steeped in the GA, to be fair to him. But he's just a great character, especially just the way that he, yeah, no, what kind of pause mid, um, mid uh, yeah, sentence. What? Are we on? <laughs> um, I always found Michael L- L- Lister was quite a, a difficult one to do. Michael Lister, just that nice kind of voice, just couldn't really do it. Whereas you had lovely people like Callum O'Rourke. And Joe Brown is just absolutely gangbusters, just bloodbusters. And I just like the way Tomas O'Shea, you know, he's just so passionate about it. And that the, the idea that the, you know, the, the, the O'Sheas, you see, they always look like they're squinting into the sun. It's because. They, they're all, they, they're, they were backs mainly, so they're standing behind each other a lot, and they think the sun shines out of each other's backside. That's what they need their sort of advisor, squinting away into the sun there. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Um, um, <laughs> move, move an ox, I don't... Moving swiftly on. Yeah. <laughs> um, in, in terms of, like, I would have grown up, and you would have as well, even though you, you're a wee bit younger than me, but you remember Scrap Saturday. How much yes. influence was that at you in kind of forming that kind of possibility in your head? Because for me, like Charlie Hawkey was, you know, Derek Morgan. You know, like I... I yes, that's it. a great example of a voice where Dermot's version of Charlie Hawkey became much more famous than, than Charlie Hawkey's voice itself. Because it was just such a grotesque megalomania. Whereas actually the real voice was quite light. Mm-hmm. And very posh. He just delivered out like that. 
and um, it's kind of the era was everything. There was no such thing as commercial radio, so RT was a monopoly on the air. It's kind of hard to imagine. Scrap Saturday only did two seasons, but I didn't really hear Scrap, Scrap Saturday until uh, the mid '90s, when you know, kind of friends of mine were swapping tapes, kind of political nerds in school. I'm you know, 15, 16. Um, um, I'm born in the end of 1980, so you know, 15, 96. Uh, when, and Father Ted is in full flow, and I'm kind of going, no, you know, Dermot Morgan is more than just Father Ted. You know, he's, he did all this amazing stuff on on the politicians. And Charlie Hawley, like felt like ancient history even in the mid 90s because the tribunals were kind of getting underway uh, at that stage. Um, but it was kind of the fearlessness of Jerry Stembridge and Dermot Morgan. They were the two main writers. And it's sort of the thing that I took from it and that you had to just, you, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it properly. And a lot of comedy up to that point, before Scrap Saturday came on, uh, you had things like uh, Hall's Victoria Weekly and other shows like that. And they kind of made um, fake names. So the Minister of Finance, Richie Ryan, became Richie Ruin. Whereas Scrap Saturday went, no, we're not going to make up nice funny names to cover our blushes. They're just going to go, you know, balls in and daggers out. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was Charlie. And uh, it was a good bit of swearing at Scrap Saturday. A lot more swearing you get away with now for some strange reason. Uh, but there's no denying the fact that, and it's it's particularly well recorded in the book that Dermot's um, son wrote about him uh, only a year after he died, that Scrap Saturday was scrapped by pressure from the government. Uh, and that just showed, kind of heightens how fearless Dermot Morgan was. And not even after that, but his TV series that he recorded, I think like 12 episodes of, or at least six episodes perhaps, was condensed into one hour. Um, uh, one day walking out of RT as legend has it he literally saw the tapes of the show in the skip and that the tapes weren't even kept so it was it was a very difficult a different Ireland and it was a really difficult era and it's a terrible shame he didn't live to see how you know beloved he was in Ireland and also just see how long his legacy would yeah. continue on like people still talk about Scrap Saturday and it's 30 years ago would have been 2000 oh goodness 2005 with a CD or I think it was a CD of Scrap Saturday driving to Croatia from Ireland with my dad, listening <laughs> and laughing our heads off with it, thinking, my God, that's so witty. You know, and, and, yeah. I, and now my little is 10 years of age, he's watching Father Ted. And of course, he laughs at Dougal. Yeah. Dougal's amazing. Dougal is <laughs> hilarious. And Father Jack, <laughs> because he can curse and drink and so forth. But he, he gets us. So this kind of like, whenever Father Ted goes on, you can sit and watch and go, that's funny. Like that, the one that always stand out for me. Well, one of us is like about the the funeral and Dougal. You let Fugal do a funeral, <laughs> and it's, it's that kind of like what's the next scene. Um, I also love the idea that your ten year old, perhaps uh, their main version of Ireland, is watching Father Ted. <laughs> well, he he, he realises now that he he can say "feck off." And he can say it with meaning, like, and he won't get into trouble for it because. Oh, that's important. He can say yeah. it with meaning. Yeah. yeah. But some Americans think "feck" is a is a is a swear word. They're appalled <laughs> if you say "feck." Well, back back in oh, back in '96, I was in Canada, and um, and '96, '97, especially two seasons playing football, and we like the young Canadian guys, especially for '97. We watched Father Ted came out on on CBC, like CBC in Canadian name uh, first channel, and we watched Father Ted together. So we replaced our swear words 
with Feck. So it, because the referees were clamping down at that, in that particular season, the directive from the league to say, I don't know who uses the F word. If you say fuck, that's it, you're yellow card. <laughs> so we said Feck. <laughs> so it was very useful, you know. Um, very good. Yeah. Se- second question for you is, is given the, the current political climate, do you, like, I mean, I know you're very politically engaged. And when you've, you're writing, I mean, in terms of like, I've read articles of yours, and they're very to the point, but some people don't like, they don't receive them well, because it, you kind of talk a bit, maybe too much sense, or maybe it's because I've got no sense, which means that your sense, on, yeah. whatever, you know what I mean? I suppose it depends on people's views uh, on it. But you kind of, it's all transient babble in the end, you know, so you just kind of do it. And you realise no one really remembers the stuff for very long. Uh, writing columns for me is a good way of also preventing me ever running for a public office <laughs> in the future. Um, uh, because there's just such a trail of, of terrible things I've, I've said. Uh, and also, of course, people think, oh, you, know, you, you, you lack courage if you write about politics and criticise politicians, but you won't run for office yourself. You go, that's not quite how it works. The film director can't say to a critic, you can't comment on my films, you've never made a film. You know, like it just, just makes no sense because it's sort of use. I, I almost don't understand how you could become a, a politician or a member of a political party and subscribe to, you know, a set agenda and you very little input really in that. And you have to almost bend your own opinions. Like, obviously, there are people in parties who have to go along with decisions that they don't fully agree with. That's just politics and democracy, I suppose. But uh, what I always say about the column writing is that I have, um, I have opinions, but I don't have an agenda. Because you, the view changes on things. And I've had to, you know, undo some of my views on things over, over the years writing. And I haven't been writing columns all that long, probably only about in the last five years or so. But uh, it's a kind of discipline. It kind of um, tickles, the you know, kind of uh, scratches that old itch I had for journalism. So uh, it's a version of it there. Uh, journalism has kind of suffered so much in the past while that opinion writing has kind of almost superseded news in a way. Um, so it's there and you try to be measured in what you're saying and you try to be circumspect. And I also point out that when you're doing comedy, particularly because we're, we're doing comedy on RT radio, so it's a state broadcaster, it has certain rules, it has to be fair and, imba- uh, and balanced. Uh, so, you know, the, the sketches aren't, aren't personal opinions of anything. They're trying to reflect or they're trying to give an alternative version of what's going on, almost kind of tease out what's really happening down there. But you have to spread it around. And there's a lot of shy talk about history the minute, you know, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael coming together for the first time. Uh, you know, it'll be the first time a Taoiseach has stepped down into the role of Pánaiste. And, but there's other, you know, there's other uh, big moments in history too, which no one has mentioned, such as we're going to have, if it all goes, if it all happens, there's no guarantee at the minute. Uh, and Mary Lou MacDonald becomes the leader of the opposition. It's the first female leader of the opposition we've ever had. For all the progress we've made, that's kind of extraordinary when you think of it. It looks like there's going to be no way we're going to have 50%, you know, male, female cabinet again. You know, what really, what, what's been achieved? You know, and no one wants to hear about history making. They just want to see, can we get over a global pandemic uh, without destroying the economy, I suppose. And that, that's the, the final question for you, because, I mean, um, like I've, I've heard you on the radio quite recently, always, you know, the, the podcast of Carlos Hicks, I mean, is a, Every Friday when it comes out, I'll, I'll usually listen to it on a Saturday or on a Sunday morning on the way to training, you know? Many uh, do, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and as I said, I, I've, I embarrass myself sometimes when I start to laugh out loud on the Moscow Metro because sure as anything else, Russians don't, you know, they kind of had this thing, if you're laughing or smiling, uh, you're a bit 
crazy. So like, you know, like, <laughs> so if I, if I get locked up in straight jack and say, Oliver Callum did it, that he's to fall. So just in case you, you, it ever comes back to a court case, I can point to you. Now all I'll ever think of making Callum's kicks is someone's going to be listening to this in the Moscow Metro. <laughs> Trust me. It's, <laughs> I, I, you're doing it. You're doing Pascal, Pascal Dunhu. Pascal Dunhu. Thank and, you very uh, much. You know, and I mean, Pascal, I actually taught him how to ride a bike. This is what? Yeah, yeah. He he grew up next door to me, but basically at the, the age of forty-one, I finally learned how to ride a bicycle. Yeah, exactly. Thank you to Alan Moore. And <laughs> he wouldn't admit one it. One foot here and the other foot there. <laughs> and next year, Alan, I hope to remove the stabilizers. At least and, one. Uh, <laughs> at least one. <laughs> at least one. <laughs> I mean, it was funny. My mom met him in the Blanchard Shopping Centre. I met his mom and um, you four lass and said, uh, "We're in time of the World Cup and." She, she she asked me. Also, how's like you know my brother Sean and Lee, Lisa and Alan and Alan's away in Moscow. Actually, he's doing his own thing there. He's working with sports and he's doing a bit of radio and doing this, that, and the other. And in the college, and then they she turned around and said, "God, you know, I wish my my, my Pascal had such a nice, uh, such a nice or such a good direction in his life." And I was like, <laughs> "This is for finance." You know, I'm sorry, but like I swap proposals. I. I you know, I could, I, I, I could like cut social welfare and pay. I'm if, anyway. Um, <laughs> for, that, that's a the final question I want to ask you was now with this, you, you of course you got uh, the writing and so on. But how has like kind of in terms of gigs in general work been affected? How, like, have you had to adapt, or, or how has it been for you? Yeah, I mean, I was literally about to start a national tour. We had, um, I had spent three months writing it. Uh, as well as updating it. It was all ready to go. Uh, um, it was being launched on the 12th of March, 14th of March, actually. And the 12th of March was locked down. The whole thing is cancelled, but we'd all sold our tickets. It was a 20-day tour of the country and there was going to be more added in the autumn. So, you know, it was, it's like any of us in the arts live, live show industry. It just went kaput in a way that we just never, ever imagined could happen. But, I mean, it'll come back someday, <laughs> I presume. Uh, someday, somehow, we don't know. It, it really feels like people are just exiting lockdown uh, head first at the minute and we don't know what's going to be the result of it. And I think there's going to be two stages. First, whether when it's legal to have shows again. And the second stage is convincing people that it's safe to go there. And um, that, that's kind of the idea. It's, it's kaput. It's been devastating for people. I'm, I'm lucky that I have other sort of jobs that had kind of diversified a lot but some people are completely dependent on shows particularly musicians really badly hit and as we saw in what we're, we're calling kind of the last crash it used to be known as the crash but we've already started calling it which is a kind of monotone mel melancholy pessimism coming out we're now calling it 2008 the last crash you know artists really suffer the worst um but then it recovered quite quickly because when things are down and when people are you know, as down as the mood has been for the past while, they really do react and go to shows when they're let and when they feel safe again to do it. So we'll come back eventually. So we try to, we try to look at it. I try to look at it as a forced sabbatical. It's sometimes no harm to stop for a bit in terms of light shows and go up again. Obviously, it's frustrating. I was frustrated for myself for you know half a day and then realised, oh, wait, this is a global planet pandemic. <laughs> it's not just happening to my life tour. It's happening to the entire world. Uh, but it's amazing how quickly people adapt, humans adapt to uh, extraordinary circumstances. But we're seeing it again because if you told somebody at, in the middle of, if you told someone in early April that we were going to all rush 
uh, to get out of the lockdown in a few weeks' time, they would have said, no, 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 we're really in for this, in for the long haul. We're going to save everybody. Uh, but now it seems that th- this is the new phase. We're going to just go at it hell for leather and hope for the best. So it is like an Ulster final, I suppose. <laughs> That's actually the best way to end off this chat. That, you know, so head first and hope nobody up. dies. That's yeah, the yeah. final slogan. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I mean, hopes and dreams of like, you know, Fermanagh die every year, but like, you know, if they, if they get that far, you know. Um, Oliver, thank you so much for your time today. It's been absolutely, it's been an education and an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And um, look, I, I, for one, hope to see you over in Moscow soon anyway. So we the pop across. Yeah, I'd love it. Um, and it looks like, you know, Moscow will be quicker out of the lockdown than anybody, maybe. Yeah. Uh, hard to beat Ireland at the minute. So well, we, we, uh, I love, look forward to it. I might see a match over there. There you go. Actually, could even be Gaelic football. Uh, well, definitely for soccer, for sure. That's what we'd love to see, Gaelic football <laughs> match. And, like, that has to be something. This, honestly, yeah, we have now cancelled the championship. It is all happening in Moscow. <laughs> like, <laughs> in the World Cup venues around Russia. Well, uh, you know, it is odd. Around Europe right now, um, we're doing the, the review there yesterday. And uh, our, our chairperson, Tony, uh, Tony Bass, um, he has looked through everything went through and most of the countries like say for example in Zurich uh, they started contact training in of course Scandinavia they've still been sunbathing nude making pornographic films and playing Gaelic football non-stop <laughs> and um, in, in, in Moscow now we'll wait till probably July but we'll actually have matches before they are in Ireland so it's a bit of a so, <laughs> it's a promotion the, the GA Championship live from Russia Coming up the Ulster final, Vladivostok. <laughs> we've we've a load of stadiums left over from the World Cup, and the people are you know here are eager to see some a bit of violence, like you know, because we got rid of you know after the World Cup, there's no more football hooliganism at all, you know. So uh, like right. protest, no more racism, no more football hooliganism, you know. Um, well, that's what <laughs> that's, that's the official word. Isn't that's it? the official word. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, that red dot on my head tells me it's time to go. Otherwise, it's This is a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, Oliver. Take care. Thank- Good luck to you, Slan. As the final whistle blows on this episode of this Sunday's game, thank you very much to Oliver Callan for his time and his patience. And we're counting the days until Callan's kicks is back on our airwaves. Remember, we're back on Wednesday. So until then, take care of yourselves and each other. Mm-hmm.